there, and welcome to the Punched and Played podcast, the sometimes funny, sometimes analytical podcast all about board games and the unique experiences they create. I'm one of your hosts, Sean Rose, along with Jonathan Baker. Greetings. And Clint Broadbent. Howdy. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing good. Things are going along. I got some games played this this, uh, last time, so I'm really excited to talk about them. Fantastic. Well, let's just jump right into things and talk about the games that you guys have been playing recently, and we'll start with you, Clint. Well... I was super lucky to we had a little, we had a little Friday night game night and I cashed in all my chips with the wife and ended up at, at game night and got to play a game that I've been trying to get played for a long time and that was Eldritch Horror. It was really good. I got to play with Sean and a couple uh, friends. So, and I didn't let you kind of ease into it. I kind of threw you headfirst into a game with all the expansions thrown in. <laughs> Oh, baby. <laughs> he saw the terror in my face when I was like, oh, we're not just playing the base thing. And he's like, nope, we're playing with it all. <laughs> so we played the one of the scenarios where you use the Antarctica board. And we played with one of the great old ones, which is uh, focused on cold and winter, the Windwalker. Thiqua, I think, is what his name is. Can't really pronunciate it. it. Great. Nailed it. But that was it was it was a, I was hoping it would be kind of a good atmospheric sort of game. It'd been snowing around, been cold out. Thought, hey, let's do this, and we ran into some problems. Just a few. <laughs> do I want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I thought the game was was really good. I'd heard a lot of good things. I played Arkham Horror before, and um, I love I like I love Arkham Horror. I just didn't like it. Like I don't play it a lot because it's got a lot going on. And it is a marathon game if I've ever seen one. But we got it. We cracked open Elrich, and I think we picked it up really quick. Thought the game kind of flowed pretty well. We were cooking along. I felt like things were things were moving along. I thought we were making progress on on the objectives, and I was liking what was going on. We had our own little roles, and then we hit a we hit a little uh, we hit a little snag, a little kick in the in the rear. The game kicked us in the teeth. What was that card? Oh, <laughs> well, there there were several problems up to that point, but the, the card you're referencing is the end is nigh. Uh-huh. It's it's a mythos card which essentially says, discard one of these and one of these and one of this and one of that. I mean, pretty much almost all the items that are in the game, it asks investigators to discard one of each of those. And then just to throw some salt on the wound, on your wound, it also says, "Oh, and take one hit to sanity and one hit to stamina." Great, fantastic. So yeah, that was pretty pretty rough. And one thing that I noticed about the expansion is that they actually give you some suggestions on how to maybe tailor the difficulty. So you can so the Mythos deck is set up in stages. So you can actually start off by maybe stacking the deck with all of a bunch of easy cards in, during the first stage, mm-hmm. medium cards in the middle stage, and the really difficult cards in the later stage. Mm-hmm. So the end is nigh is actually considered a difficult mythos challenge. Mm-hmm. So maybe if we actually stack the deck to have one of those some of those harder cards in the third stage, maybe it wouldn't have left such a bad taste in our mouth to get slapped around by that card so early. Yeah, and I know Sean. Uh, Sean took it personally when we got kicked in the teeth. He he was really bummed. I think that he worried about. It. But I think it was a it was a resounding success. Everybody really enjoyed the game, 
but it kind of felt like that with the flow is that things were starting to ramp up and like when we talk about like a narrative arc of the game i really felt like we there was something there it was building 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 but then it was like as we're right right in about the middle like right where things were starting to get it, that card really it really uh, hamstrung us just really just took us off at the knees after that we were like whoa but we can still do it. We can still do it. And then that kind of scenario, like combined with that thing, is kind of, it was so funny how it was like hypothermia and just slowly freezing. And it just, and we just, it was kind of a slow and, and kind of painful that we really couldn't get momentum going again. But another reason why I took it a little bit personal is because I also forgot to mention that. Ethiqua also has the effect that anytime you draw a card, uh, there are special events that trigger on certain Mythos cards called Reckoning Effects. Mm-hmm. And I forgot to mention that whenever a Reckoning Effect triggers of each round, that every player must take a Hypothermia unless they use one of the new Focus Tokens that are used in the expansion. Mm-hmm. And I completely forgot to mention that, so we all took Hypothermia like in round two. Yeah. So I think I just kind of set us up for failure a little bit. We also did not use the Antarctica board at all. No. Never went there. And I was so frustrated with this. I actually went home the next day, and my wife and I played the exact same scenario. And it went much, much better. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I, it was a little discouraging to have several people who this was their first game playing it, and then it kind of unravels on us a little bit. Now, like I said, though, I really liked the game. I thought it was I had my expectations set and like it exceeded expectations. Um, I thought it was really a, I thought it was really fun. I really wanted to play again. I love the stories. I, I I would in my personal game, I would take that card out, the end is nigh card. I don't I love my cooperatives hard, but I don't like I really have a hard time with like the the one like I said that kind of just that takes everything away. If I roll badly, I can understand the cause and effect. Well, I was supposed to do this and I failed the roll and so something bad happens to me. I understand that. And so that was that was my my one qualm, but overall, like I said, I'm excited to play I'm excited to play it again. Well, you know, I I can't count against the designers necessarily because the whole idea of Elder Tor is that the odds are supposed to be unsurmountable. You're supposed to feel like all hope is lost. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is that that card was very memorable. When we read it, we were like, what the crud? <laughs> no, no. That We thought yeah. we were reading it wrong. Oh, does each investigator choose one of these? No, you'd get rid yeah. of all of these things. And it wasn't get rid of all your cards but it was enough to cause significant damage. So it did make you kind of feel that the odds were definitely against you. But again, I think it was a little too mean, and it came out way too early for that particular game. Yeah, I I, I did it, and it was kind of interesting. The guy that was sitting next to me was playing. Uh, he's great. He was a great little uh, guy, but he had this whole thing kind of going. And like when he was done, like he was the guy that got. He was a politician that just kept getting stuff and getting stuff and getting stuff. And, like, after, like, he had, like, five or six things, and literally by the end, that car went, he had a pair of dice, like a gambler's dice. He had, like, a pair, he had a trinket left, and it was, like, it was just, like I said, it was just, it was tough. And I, like I said, I love, I love the pressure. I like to, to hurry things up. But, like I said, I, I thought it was, I thought it was fun. I thought it was, I would never get Arkham Horror. 
I know people kind of bounce back and forth, and I think Arkham Horror is a little bit more like magnified, but I really like Eldritch and how smooth it is. It just felt like things were moving along quicker, and it was just more streamlined. And everybody keeps saying that, but I really felt that as I was playing. Yeah. Now, Jonathan, I know you've been wanting to play with a new Arc, uh, Eldritch Horror expansion, but you didn't get to play this particular one. Yeah, I just got to peek in a little bit on you guys. I was actually hosting that game night, but my son had robotics, and I had to keep running in and out, taking him and picking him up and stuff. So unfortunately, I didn't get to play that that game, but I was interested to see how you guys were doing and see it was quite a massive setup you had going on as I was watching you set it up. Yeah, I your your wife came in and she was kind of looking at all, everything we had, and I, I looked at her and said, "I'm feeling overwhelmed with setting it up right now." <laughs> <laughs> So, but uh, even with our massacre that we endured, you think you'd still be willing to give it a go? Oh yeah, I want to try it again. I enjoyed it the two or three times I've played it so far, and would would like to try that one again. Excellent. Has there been any new games you've been playing recently? Well, on the game night, I was able to squeeze in a few short games. Um, I did get to play a three player game of Star Realms, which was fun. I also got to play uh, one. One game of Ultimate Werewolf, which was pretty fun. And then um, got to play uh, a game of Vault Wars, which is a game we've been playtesting by John Gilmore. And so got to play one one game of that. So got to play that. Yesterday I also got to play a game of Race for the Galaxy, two-player, with my son. And normally he crushes me in that game. Thought I might have a chance to win. It actually ended up being 28-24. to 24. He beat me by a few points. But uh, I got some brown production going, and pretty good showing for me. I'm not great at that game, but I do like to play it. Yeah, Race for the Galaxy isn't my favorite. I don't, I don't mind playing it, but I'm not exactly sure what it is. Maybe it's because I started out with San Juan, and that scratches that itch for me. But I don't know. I think it's a good game. It's just not my favorite. Um, thinking of San Juan, that's one that I'm still thinking about picking up eventually again. I've played, you know, your copy of it. I've played it on the phone. And I just, I really like it. I like it's a little bit, you know, more streamlined. And I think it's something that other members of my family might play. My wife might play. She did sit down and to play a game of Race for the Galaxy, and about halfway through, she was done. And <laughs> we let her. She had she had an errand to run or something, so we let her go and just finished out the game without her. But it it's I think San Juan would be more her speed, something that she would enjoy playing. Great. And the thing is, is that besides the Eldritch Horror game, uh, another game that you mentioned that I've been playing pretty much exclusively at this point has been Vault Wars, because I've been trying to get playtests in. It's been very interesting playtesting this game compared to playtesting Dead of Winter. For one, Vault Wars is a lot shorter of a game, and it's a very different feel. And that actually is going to lead in a little bit to some of the things that have been going on recently. Um, Since we've been playtesting Vault Wars, the Kickstarter actually launched the day for that game. And, Clint, you've played Vault Wars a few times, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. What what have your impressions of that game been? It's been fun. I really actually quite like it. I I love the... uh, just partial information of the game. I, I feel like really there's a lot of good opportunities for bluffing. Um, there are special player powers, variable costs, different things. There's bidding. I mean, I love how there are a lot of little things going on, like a bunch of different things, but they all kind of mesh pretty, like I said, really well together. I 
got crushed. But uh, like I said, I had a great had a great time. Uh, I think that some of it was like you guys had played it a couple more times than me, so like you kind of knew what you were doing. But I still felt like at the end of the game, like wow, I might pull this off. I might do well. And um, I think that's a sign of a good of a good game that at the end of the game you're still like oh i felt like i could have won if this would have gone right for me so. yeah and that's one thing i noticed is that every game that i've played personally i've always felt like i had a, a, a chance of actually winning the game i thought i would be you know edged out a little bit by another player but i always felt like i was still in it until the end yeah vault wars um it's kind of deceptively simple but as you play it, I mean, there is a depth there to it. And it's just a game that I've really enjoyed playing. I am not a fan of auction games, but I, it's a combination of the shortness of the game and just, uh, it's not a light game, but it, it's not super heavy heavy either. And it's just, it's it draws me in. I, I really do enjoy it. I've enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, and just to give a little bit of a, a, a background of what Vault Wars is all about, essentially, you draft a set of vault cards, which will have different treasure cards that are randomly drawn. And some might get revealed to the other players. Some might be passed so people can actually peek at what treasures are inside there. And each of the separate vaults has a special ability. So it might allow you to, for example, swap out. If you don't like the treasures you have, you could actually get rid of the junk and then draw some random new cards to put in that vault. So it has some interesting mechanics there. So essentially on your turn, everyone's going to flip over their vault cards. And then depending on the number of your vault, we'll go in ascending order. So whoever played the lowest vault will actually start off and they become the auction master. So they will actually set up what treasures are in there by drawing the cards, following the rules, tweaking it if the special ability of the card allows them to, and then they will start the bid. The interesting thing about this is that once you start a bid, the next player gets to bid, and everyone else can bid it up, but once you've set the beginning bid, you can no longer bid for your own vault. So whatever price you set it at, If you really want what's in there, you pretty much have to try to figure out what do you think other players are willing to pay? Do you want to try to psych them out to make them think that's better stuff in them than there really is? So there's a lot of of bluffing in the game as well. You'll also have some different hero cards. What were some of your favorite heroes that you encountered? Uh, The Engineer is pretty good, who gives you bonuses for having artifacts at the end of the game. In addition to having, you know, gems and you know, dragon eggs and things like that. There's also artifacts in the game that can be either, you know, sold, equipped for some kind of special ability or held in your hand for victory points. Well, the engineer will go ahead and give you victory points whether you've played them or not at the end of the game. Yeah, and your hero is the person that they give you the ability to score extra bonus points at the end of the game if you're collecting certain sets of things. So, like, the engineer allows you to get bonus points from getting artifacts. What were some of the ones you played as? Um, I played as, uh, let's see, it was, I think, the Warlord and the Warrior, I think, were the ones that, I, that, I've, that I've had. Um, I really like it. One of the things I, I love and is kind of different about this game, the, the reason why I liked those, the hero cards is that it changes the, the perceived value of an item. Mm-hmm. You know, while somebody might look at that trinket, they're looking at it and they're thinking, well, I don't really need this. But all of a sudden, Jonathan comes in and bids a higher number on it. And it's like, well, it's just this little thing. Well, it's not a lot to me, but it could be a lot to, to Jonathan if he has the right hero. And I, I like that, how, you know, 
after you play it for a while, you don't know exactly what like what the person is going to do. There may be a there may be a hero that changes what you would predict the strategy would be, which I think kind of keeps the game fresh. Yeah, absolutely. And the nice thing is, is that at the beginning of the game, you get you draw two heroes, and you can pretty much alternate between them. At the, you don't have to decide which hero you're going to score until the very end of the game, which I liked quite a bit. The last game I actually played, I had the hoarder, and I think I had the temptress. And the hoarder is all about getting junk, but as you're keeping a bunch of junk, people are going to start noticing you're doing that. So it kind of gives people a hint about what you're going for. Uh, but what I did is I actually, oh, you're the hoarder, and then I completely swapped on them. I dumped all my all my junk, and it completely threw them off. So I actually switched to the temptress, which, which she was more interested in getting gems. So I was able to kind of trick people a little bit, like, oh, he's after junk, and then all of a sudden I get rid of all my junk. They're like, oh, wait, wait a minute, what's going on here? So I like that element to it. But it's a, it's a very quick, fun game. Being on Kickstarter, uh, it's going for $20, which I think is pretty reasonable for what you get. That's a steal. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they have a deluxe version as well, which gets you metal coins. That'll, that'll be $45, Ooh. but the, the metal coins... Those coins look fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually somewhat considering that it looks really nice so very excited about uh vault wars we're going to be seeing if we can possibly get john gilmore to come onto our podcast and talk a little bit about the game as well in the coming weeks so we'll keep you posted on that front all right well i thought we'd do is just jump into our core topic for the day which is looking back at games from our childhood so i think our taste in games have probably changed quite a bit this is that's a tiny bit. I thought it would be kind of fun just to kind of present that question. You guys have had some time to think about this. I really didn't set any parameters on the, the games you choose. So I'm kind of curious what games you chose from your childhood that you wish to talk about. Okay, I'll go ahead and get started. I grew up playing games, uh, playing games with friends in my family. My dad loved to play games. We would play, you know, all kinds of just the regular, you know, sorry Life, that kind of stuff. Monopoly, of course. Clue. Clue was probably one of my favorite because I actually felt like there was some strategy to it. There was some, you know, things that you could do to affect the outcome of the game. And um, moving on from there, I remember watching my dad and my uh, uncle playing uh, Dark Tower and just being fascinated by that, being amazed by that, you know, that piece of technology, the tower that spins around and that has, you know, the little light up lights and uh, kind of keeps track of stuff for you. And eventually got to play that when I got a little bit older. So that was one of the things that I was just really captivated with as, as a young person. Moving on from there, we had a next door neighbor who was uh, in the military who had lots of Axis and Allies and Shogun and Fortress America and those type games. And uh, we actually snuck over there and uh, played some of those games and just, you know, really, really got captivated. Loved all the little miniatures, loved the war games, kind of a little bit better than Risk, some more variety to that, to those type of games. From there, moving on to games like, you know, Hero Quest, Battle Masters, those type of games that were able to purchase in a, a Toys R Us or something like that, but kind of had a more unique feel to them, you know, with your warriors wandering around the dungeon or your you know your orcs out on the battlefield or your cannon or whatever in battle masters um which had really nice you know 
map that you could unfold and make a huge thing on your floor. You pretty much had to play it on the floor, but with your little plastic cannons and knights and things like that and a troll and everything. So those are the type of games that I really enjoyed. You can see how that kind of led me into hobby gaming from there. So the Dark Tower, I know that I've, I've heard this game. I've seen little bits of it, but sell me on this game. Basically, the game is you each start off in your own little land, your own little section of the board, and you travel around doing different things like, you know, you'll go into a crypt or you'll go into a tomb or whatever, and it had nice sound effects. You'll hear the door opening and be like, you know, and then either you would hear the door slam shut and basically it turns over. So obviously that's not a terribly fun, you know, game mechanic to just lose a turn like that, but sometimes it would open up and you'd hear the battle music and then the little tower would show you how many brigands you're fighting and you know it would also keep track you would have your own little uh pegboard basically and you'd keep track of your food your gold your your soldiers if you had any other kind of special uh, things like a beast that could help you carry things around um you might have some other kind of special characters too but the com- the the computer if you will of the dark tower would also keep track of all that stuff for each player too you'd have to eventually find a key in your uh not in your area i think you had to I'm not sure if you had to find a key in every area, but you had to find like three keys and each one would be in a different land. So you'd have to move around into other people's side of the board. And then eventually once you'd gotten all the keys, you would be able to, and you, you felt like you had a, a sufficient enough army to do it, you would be able to actually try to attack the Dark Tower. And then you'd have to get the keys in the right order. And then eventually you'd be able to get in and then battle to win. And it sounds it sounds very cool. I'm just kind of, kind of curious. Have there been any other games that you think have captured what makes that game so unique? I can't think of any. Uh, I mean, you know, the new technology we're getting with with games like XCOM and stuff. And that's what know. I was thinking about. Is that that's not a board game? That's a video game. You know. I mean, yeah. You think of you think of uh, Dark Tower, and it. You know, you can definitely see. You know that direct. Uh, you know, relationship throughout the time with the Dark Tower keeping track of certain things for you, whereas the, you know, the app's kind of organizing things for you too, or something like Alchemists. You know, it's definitely an outgrowth of of that kind of thing. It's just amazing that it's been, you know, that many years. I know there have been other little games. You know, there's the whole VCR stuff that was just kind of crazy and silly. But there have been other little games that have had, you know, uh, an electronic component to them, but... Nothing as cool as Dark Tower. Did Dark Tower use VHS as well? No. Okay, for some reason I was thinking it did. I know it had the cool tower, no. but... Okay. Just the tower. Oh, missed missed opportunity there. Yeah. What game doesn't strive to be a VHS game? That's right. <laughs> the classics. There you go. So, uh, Clint, what are, what are some of the games that you remember? Well, that took me back down to memory lane. I, did, I was thinking to myself, well, you know, what... What was the first game that I remember playing? And I can remember, um, it's weird how these things connect to you, but I, I remember playing Memory, mm-hmm. uh, which is just the matching game. You're trying to look for two of the same pictures under the things. You get a, you have a pick, and if it's the same, you get to keep the match. If it's not, then you can uh, then you got to flip it back over. I really, I just remember playing this with my dad. Um, and my dad was a, my dad's a game player. He never was. He played sports, so I think he liked he liked games a lot of times for the competitive nature, for the challenge. 
but I uh, I remember playing I remember playing Memory as early as um, four or five. I mean, I was pretty young playing Memory, and I just remember my dad really trying to help you know help and kind of work with me through that thing. So I really I remember playing Memory a lot. But then growing up, just getting a little bit older. Um, I branched out to the normal games. I mean, there was the Monopoly. You know, we we always talk about Monopoly. Um, One of the big games that I loved was Stratego. Um, Played a lot of Stratego. Stratego was one of the first games where there's that bluffing aspect, and I just latched onto that. I loved the, you know circling my my flag with bombs or you know circ- doing like a circle of that around a scout and then sticking the flag like in the corner and just thinking I was so smart but I remember playing that one just just over and over and just couldn't get enough of it but then the next thing for me was uh my my parents were my grandmother um was uh, is a big rummy fan Shanghai rummy was the big thing and there was a lake house that, that they have a cabin and we would go to that cabin and I remember watching my mom and my dad and my grandma and my grandpa play uh, Shanghai Rummy and all I could think about was oh if I could only play Shanghai Rummy I'd be just like the adults and I remember for my first you know when they first invited me to play was just so huge for me growing up so uh yeah, that was some other, those some big ones. Okay, showing my lack of knowledge about rummy. I, I know rummy, the gin rummy and stuff like that. But what what is Shanghai rummy? Shanghai rummy is uh, is you're creating sets, and there are different sets for different things. Um, it has a it is it has a close analog, but not nearly the same as um, a phase ten. You want to create sets and runs. Of certain suits and you want to you want to go down get rid of all your cards and then people with their they have their cards left over get points counted against them and uh, we ended up later on moving into this thing called hand and foot which is a kind of a kind of a canasta almost uh, set thing and it's 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 still one of those things that me and my family even though we understand it's not a fantastic game but it's our it's a family game and we still play it and kind of walk down memory lane so yeah absolutely uh, this isn't a game from my childhood but we were in target or something like that and we came across canasta and i'm like well, we should try it we should pick this up john's like this is an old person's game like you don't even know what this is so we <laughs> she loves rummy games uh uh-huh. she kicks my tail uh at rummy games but we got that and we we were we before we had kids. We were just out of graduate school, and when we got home from work, we'd bust out Canasta, and we played it all the time. Was that the Canasta Caliente? It is. It is. <laughs> uh, I've always had my eye on that one. Uh, we actually have two sets because we went through the first one so much that we just wore them out. Just wore the cards out. It. You know what? Uh, knock it for all it is. The one thing I love about Canasta and a lot of those set taking games is that. They're slow, mm-hmm. but they allow you to converse with each other. And so for my family, it was not so much the, the cards were – we were playing cards, but it was something that we were doing together that really helped. Like I said, we were just talking about the day and what we were doing, and we would just – and like I said, we'd play cards. And it was just it was just a, us sitting at the table together. It was – like I said, it was kind of a, an awesome uh, reason to get together. Awesome. Yeah, so 
when I was thinking about the games from my childhood, there was always one that st- stood out to me, and it was Mousetrap. Yes. yes. I I think the thing with Mousetrap is I just love the idea of building the trap. I mean, most I think most people would say that the, the building the mousetrap is what makes the game. But I I just try to think about the idea of the game building and progressing and getting bigger and you see as you're moving around you're getting new pieces you're putting it together. I just like that feel of you see the pieces coming together and you're building something. And I think that may be something that translates to how I'm gaming, the games I like now, is I like being able to see as I'm doing something, things coming together, things that I'm building fall into place. But I think that game in particular has a special place for me just because it's just the Rube Goldberg concept of stuff like that. It's just a lot of fun. So you like the part of actually building it or the part of setting off the trap? I liked the, well, that's a good point. Because I feel like they kind of de- you have to kind of delay your gratification because you everyone as a kid you want to see the mouse trap go off, but you really don't get to see that until the very end once you get to the end part of the game. But I, I think I still like that that concept of you are building something. Maybe the, the way the mouse trap does it isn't particularly interesting because you don't really have any choices or whatnot. I think I like both, but I mean, I think being able to see the payoff at the end of being able to put all the pieces together. There were certain pieces even as a kid that my sister really wanted to put a certain piece on, and she was really mad when she didn't get to be the person to do that. So I think it's a combination of both. I like the building, but of course the payoff is what makes the building all all the worthwhile. So again, the game is not mind-blowing by any means. I think it's just what draws you in is that essentially you're putting together a toy as you're playing the game. Yeah, and I also like uh, kind of putting what you were saying is is that that game has a very definitive like it has a build up, a natural progression that kind of uh, you know we keep talking about like this idea of a narrative and you're continuing to build and build and build and so I think that sometimes in like your mind you're 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 like oh my gosh we're getting closer mm-hmm. we're getting closer and I think that that's one of the cool things about that game if you want to look at the positives of a lot of these old games is that. You know, there was some type of mechanic that you were like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. But I think I would like to find a, a game that captures that element of you're building something and it does something as a part of the game mechanic. I don't think there's a lot of games out there that have that element. I don't know what that would look like, but I guess I'm just kind of intrigued by that. Engine building games don't do that for you? It's, uh, to a certain extent, I think... I think that's probably where it's coming from, that I like building the engine and kind of seeing how it comes together. But I don't know. I guess I'm thinking about a game that lets you do something physical, like something physical that you actually build. This is uh, probably not the best of examples, but I'm thinking back, like Pillars of the Earth, for example. You're actually building the cathedral as you play the game. Completely unnecessary. You don't need it. It's just there to mark what what round in the game you're in but having that element of your each round as you're you're playing as master builders uh, constructing this cathedral and you actually get to see the finished product as you're going on and some people do amazing things with their little wooden cathedral pieces really mm-hmm. kind of pimp it up and make it look really pretty mm-hmm. but i like that aspect another one that i like is uh mentioned it earlier in one of the other podcasts of uh, uh cleopatra and the society of architects 
there is that thing that you 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 know you build a you build this obelisk and you're just like yeah I put that up you know <laughs> and it that scores your points but at least you're feeling like yeah I did that and if you can build more things on at, in one turn you get you get bonus points and so I mean it is really awesome and the one of the coolest things about that game is that the part of the box is part of the game mm-hmm. and that was you know we've seen that with uh, games like niagara and, and stuff I, th- I think that that's really cool that it's something physical that you're looking at instead of just looking at points on a board yeah so i think i i, I think that the fascination with the building and the execution of the pieces and mousetrap translates over to the engine building but i think i like that being able to see what you've built mm-hmm. uh that I wish more games would capitalize on in some way. I don't know how that would look, but just had to brainstorm on that. You're starting to inspire me, Sean. Oh, boy. <laughs> the wheels wait. are turning. <laughs> Excellent. So uh, one of my other games uh, I got when I was in the hospital. Uh, my grandmother knew I loved video games. Big Mario fan. So I, I was a Nintendo kid, so I grew up playing the original Nintendo Entertainment System. My grandmother got me the Super Mario Brothers board game, which I didn't even know there was a board game for Super Mario Brothers. I didn't know about that till today. Yep. <laughs> have you ever seen this, Jonathan? Just my box that's sitting over there? I don't think I have. Why don't you grab that box for me real fast? Okay. This The game here is it's, it's, it's got some unique elements to it. I'm gonna gonna start this off by saying this is not a good game, okay? <laughs> it's not it's not good. It doesn't even pretend to be good. But the idea here is you are all playing Mario. So essentially, each player takes a turn as a little cardboard with a little plastic stand Mario, and you are moving across the different world maps. There are four different worlds that you're trying to go across. So you have you're at at the start location. You roll a little die that either has a yellow side, a red side, or a red and yellow side. And then you get to decide which space, red or yellow, do you want to move to. You can jump on top of blocks and grab coins. You can go underneath question blocks and you can draw cards, which give you special powers. Uh, But essentially what you're trying to do is go through the game, hoard a whole bunch of coins, and eventually avoid enemies and get to the very end to be the person who rescues the princess. Whenever you hit a, a hazard, either you hit an enemy or you fall in the water or something like that, then your turn is over. Or on the little die, there's a stop. So if you roll a stop, your turn is over as well. So whenever it's my turn's over, then Clint takes over, he rolls the die, and he starts off where I left off with Mario, collecting coins, getting objects, things like that. So if, for example, I rolled a stop or I hit an enemy, I could cash in four coins and buy an extra life and keep going. So that's pretty much what it is. So as you get cards, you can get a fireball card, which so Mario can throw a fireball at the enemies to take them off the board. Um, but also what's interesting about it is that as other players are getting cards, they'll get enemy cards where they can play the enemies on another person's turn, and they'll choose where on the map they want to put the little cardboard enemy. The fatal flaw about this game is at the very, very end, and actually you can do this even before that, whenever you get to the very end where you're having to get jump over Bowser, if you land on Bowser, you're automatically dead, okay? So what people end up doing is they'll put a little uh, Bowser fireball right there, or a Goomba, or a turtle, 
right in front of Bowser. So no matter what, you, if you're right here, like two spaces away from Bowser, if there's a spot, if there's an enemy or an uh, obstacle right there, people will just keep spamming that particular spot, so there's no way you can actually jump over them. No matter what you roll, you will always fail. <laughs> so that is the biggest problem with this, is that it's pretty much broken, because you can end up putting two obstacles right next to each other, essentially making a, uh, someone will eventually lose their turn because there's no way to get around it. So mm. that's the biggest problem. It's, it's, it's fun. It was fun as a kid, but I think the whole idea of, you know, we have this thing with you know, video game cash-ins with, you know, movies, and now video games are starting to integrate more into board games now, but I think some are doing it more successfully than others, like XCOM, for example, does a really great job of capturing elements of the video game, but uh, yeah, Super Mario Brothers, the board game, not not so much. So, but I have fond memories of it. But again, I think once we figured out very quickly, even as kids, that we could kind of abuse it and make someone lose automatically was kind of no fun. So, mm-hmm. did you guys have any games like this? Kind of like the silly little games that you still remember, but were just kind of really bad games well one of the ones that i that i remember that this keeps going through my mind and i was telling sean this before but i i really there was this one game and it was like it was like the big board book of games and it's this big old book i would say it's it's huge it's like two feet wide by three feet tall it's like it's a big game um and uh, but it was this big old game, and literally the in the top corner there were there was a little electronic thing that you could just press the button and it would make do like a digital roll of like do 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 do. It was like it was like a it's like a slot machine. It would kind of move around, and then all of a sudden go two, one, and then it like it would land in the on a certain die roll, and then you just move your people that much. And literally, it was like four or five games of just just roll and move games but i still remember my parents using that as like reinforcement for me saying well if you do well on your test dad will play a game with you and it was just it was it was a great thing i was like it was it, the, the games were so dumb but they were it was i played them with me and my sister and my dad and i just remember playing them and just and and just loving them even though like i said it was literally all we did was just press a button and it was it was it was yeah. worse than candyland almost you just because there's no there's no decisions it was just press a button and, and roll and yeah but it was it was still a uh, a classic and then one more was uh tiddlywinks have you guys ever heard of tiddlywinks i've heard of tiddlywinks yeah tiddlywinks again another one of those ones that i'll never forget is uh Silly wings is you you take a take a plastic chip and then you use another chip to like pinch it to the ground and it like flings it flings out and there's this little bullseye like these little, these little bullseye buckets that can take the the tiddly wings and uh, that was one of the first games that I remember ever like if you shot it and it like landed in the bullseye or the fifty you would be like yes <laughs> and uh, I remember that that's one of the games that I ever remember like thinking and looking at my dad and like really like oh my gosh he's trying he's trying really <laughs> hard to win he got competitive with that one but uh, that's another classic uh, a lot of my good childhood memories it's funny uh, when I look back. A lot of them were tied to games, yeah. playing chess with my grandpa, backgammon with my dad, 
all those things. If it's interesting that I, I don't remember a ton of things. I don't, you know, I don't have one of those eidetic memories, but I, a lot of my memories that I remember of my family, I connected around games. That's great. Yeah, I didn't really uh, have the opportunity to play chess and stuff when I was terribly young or even backgammon or something, but another game that came to my mind uh, was called Wahoo, which was basically another version of Sorry or Parcheesi kind of. Um, and my dad made his own board. Uh, I remember that. That's kind of what stood out to me. And then we'd have the marbles. We'd move around, and you had to roll a one or six to get out, and then you had to you know, go around the board and get all your marbles home. And, of course, you could send people back to their start position and stuff like that. If you rolled a six, you got to go again and stuff. Uh, I just remember playing that. My dad was just he's, – he's still an amazing ability of rolling a die and getting what he wants. He's, I, I don't know how he does it. But he just has the ability to do that, and uh, he would he would kind of kill us on that game quite a bit. So, but it was just a lot of fun, and it was really neat because it was even though it wasn't like you know a super nice edition, it was just neat that he had you know made the board himself, and uh, we got to enjoy that. I love Parcheesi. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I mean, there's so many games that are based upon it, but. Parcheesi's not a bad game, really. I mean, it's got some strategic depth. Have you guys played actual Parcheesi? I played it a couple times as a kid. I can't remember it very well. But I I remember specifically playing Parcheesi because I get such a funny name. So, Is it... Do you roll a dice? You roll dice. Okay. I want to make sure. Yeah. So this is probably very similar to that. Um, But it's called Wahoo. I don't know where the name came from. I also remember playing... um, you know, the games like Hearts. Hearts is one of the first card games he taught us, and, you know, had a lot of fun playing that. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a, an old text, uh, it was a Tex Murphy. It was a video game series, and he there was a one point that he says that Parcheesi is part of the triumvirate of competitive gaming. So, <laughs> along with Twister or something like that, I think. <laughs> yeah, so... But no, it, it's actually a pretty pretty good game. Uh, there's an interesting little blocking mechanism that you don't get in some of the other variations like uh, you know Treble or Sorry and whatnot. So I, I like Parcheesi. I think I've got a soft spot for that game. Mm-hmm. The last game that I was going to mention is a game that Clint and I actually played uh, for the first... Uh, Clint, this is Clint's first time playing it, is the Clue Great Museum Caper. So this is a game that I had as a kid, and I, I didn't ask for it. My parents just got it for me for Christmas one year. And this is actually a pretty solid game. It's it's very it's really good. It's a it has a one versus all mechanic to it. So one person is the thief going into the museum trying to steal as many paintings as possible, trying to outsmart the investigators, dodging cameras, cutting the power so they can't figure out where he's located at. And then once he's collected enough of the paintings, he tries to escape through one of the windows or doors. But the thing is, is that the investigators have set up the board so they know where the exits, what, what, which places are locked and which ones are unlocked. And they also set up where the cameras are positioned and where the paintings are going to be located at as well. So the thief actually has a, a hidden movement aspect to it. So they use a screen and uses a little pen or a pencil to kind of keep track of their movements across the across the board. So their pawn isn't on the board until someone uh, is able to spot where the thief is on the board. But uh, Clint didn't even 
didn't spot me. He just landed right on me. That seems to be how I lose these games. Um, trying to be all sneaky and uh, yeah, I, I had three paintings mm-hmm. and I could have made a bad dad mad dash for it and I could have actually gotten away, but I got greedy and kept going. So caught with his hand in the cookie jar or in the paint brushes. I don't know. So, <laughs> no, it, it's a it's a really good game. It one game that I know Tom Vassell has compared the a new game by Plat Hat Games, Spectre Ops. Uh, he's compared Spectre Ops to the Great Museum Caper, but with guns. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a pretty pretty uh, appropriate comparison to it. But it's it's good. It doesn't take that long. Yeah. But it's probably one of the better games. I don't think I really fully appreciated it when I was a kid. I really I, I enjoyed it. I think I was one of the only ones that really enjoyed it. My wife doesn't like it. Um, I've made her play it a couple times, but mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a solid game. And I, I still, uh, thankfully my parents haven't got rid of, it, rid of it and I was able to bring it out of the closet and get, get, let it see some action again. Yeah, I think I was thinking to myself that some of these games, even if we would have stuck like a, a seminal game out in front of us uh, when we were kids, I think that it, it takes a certain amount of like just you know hindsight, thinking back on it. None of the games that I uh, that I mentioned, I would would I typify and say this is a great game. But uh, I played that Clue to the Museum Caper, and I thought it was I thought it was rock solid. It's one of those ones that I you know if that would have come out today, you know with updated um, like models and art, I probably would have like. I probably would have thought it was a really cool, really great game. So yeah. it's really, really fun. It comes with a, it's a 3D plastic board. Uh, the problem is, is that makes the box humongous. So storing it's a bit of a problem. But uh, yeah, I, I still have a really soft spot for that, and I'm glad that I got to bust it out again. And I've always liked Clue and stuff like that. So this is a little bit of a different take. But yeah, it's a, it's a good game. So I think it's now time for the punch list, where one of us presents the others with a characteristic of a game, and then we have to give a game that we deem punchworthy. It may not be the best game, but one we consider a favorite. So today's criteria is being presented by none other than Mr. Jonathan Baker. Take it away. All right. Well, um, this may not be super original, but... My criteria was going to be a game that involved trains in some way. Games that involve trains in some way. Okay. So, again, I think it's only fair that the presenter gets to go first while the other two get to think. That sounds fair to me. Uh, For me... Probably the first thing that comes to mind is Ticket to Ride. I know some people would argue... You know, it's not a train game. It's a route building game or whatever. It's a set collection game. But, I mean, it's called Ticket to Ride. You see, you put your trains out on the board. You try to, you know, you're definitely collecting sets, but you're trying to get those those trains and set them up across the board. This is one of the first games that I started playing when I got into more of the modern hobby games and uh, something that's gone over really well with my family and most other people that I've shown it to and played it with. Um, it's a little bit basic, but it's it's very accessible for people. And you really can't go wrong with Ticket to Ride. I mean, I think that game is very accessible and I think I've I've gotten to a point where my wife accuses me of having too many train games. I never played like the 18XX games. 
And yeah, I haven't either. I mean, I've just you know heard people talk about them and looked at them briefly. I know a lot of that is you know stock stuff involved with those. Um, I did. I don't have a name for it, but I went to a gaming event where we played uh, a train game that involved you know building up your stocks and uh, kind of upgrading your engines and stuff. But I, I don't know the name of it, and I think the person who who brought it to us had actually kind of printed out his own copy. I don't know if it was, you know, where it was available or what, but he kind of printed out his own copy of it, and uh, we'd played it. I know it involved dice and some, you know, kind of building up stocks. I remember that. Interesting. So I have have kind of two, but they're very different. Is that cheating if I talk about two? If you take mine, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) Then, Clint, you get to go first. (laughs) No, Uh, no, please. Go ahead. No, no, please. Absolutely. You need to go first. It's actually funny. Uh, I've got an interesting story. The one that I was thinking, uh, Ticket to Ride, is, you know, is that that route building game that I I love it. I, you know, it's, it's still one that I like to bring out. But one of my greatest failures, and even, you know, you know, it's a big failure if your family. still refers to the game as oh wow this is a total blank and uh and that game is steam tom vassal talked about steam just talked it up and down up and down and just loves it and says it's the definitive version of uh of steam and i of course bought it blindly during that time that i was just sponging up games and we, I brought it out um, with me, a friend of mine, uh, my brother-in-law, and my, uh, my wife, and uh, we were doing some babysitting at the time, and craziness was going on around us, um, but I said, hey, let's play this, let's give it a shot, let's just give it a try, we'd tried other games before and they had gone well, well, we decided we'd give this, we'd, we'd try this, we set it up, and we played, and no joke, every about five minutes, something happened, you know, whether we had to go off and, and give attention to, the to uh, you know, while we were baby, babysitting, we had to go give attention, we had to go set up a meal, we had to do it. So everybody just kept stepping away from the table, and what was supposed to take, you know, what was supposed to take, uh, you know, it was an hour and a half, maybe two-hour game, took like four hours and we got to a point where it the people were just like oh i can't take this it was like torture for them and it was like i just i honestly don't believe steam is a bad game but like it was one of the first games i ever traded away because my my wife says i will never play that game again and it was so everybody says you know if we say Oh, hey, let's let's squeeze the game together. You know, I know the baby's crying or whatever, or you know, we know this is going to happen up soon. I'm just like, my wife just goes, "No, we're not going to steam the game." You know, we're not going to steam. We're not going to pull a steam. But uh, my the one my punch list, and it actually is quite fitting because it took a lot of punching and assembling, is uh, Colt Express. I played that at uh, BGGCon this week this uh, year. Uh, this last year and it was one of those games that like I got done and I literally got on my phone and we ordered it like it was it was just a ton of fun it's super light it's like it's, it doesn't have a ton going on with it it's just a program movement almost but it was we were yelling and laughing and having a good time I grabbed some other friends so that we could play it 
and it really feels like it's got a 3d train like and it looks like a train and you're on this train you're trying to rob it and you're punching each other shooting each other you know pushing each other into the into the sheriff it is um it's chaotic fun but it's like a half an hour long and it's just been a guaranteed hit no matter what i've pulled it out and it really kind of gives you that feeling of looting a train so and that was that uh, Cold Express was actually the first game I played at uh, BGG Con. Mm-hmm. I went to the Hot Games room checking it out, and no one was at the Cold Express table. So I'm like, okay, we got to try this. That was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I don't, unfortunately, own it, though, but you both do. So yep. yeah. I just don't know. It, it, I question whether or not I could get if it would be a good fit for the office lunches that we do around here. The game, if it was 45 minutes long, I think the game would be, would be terrible. You know, with a half an hour, it's chaotic. It sets the right mood. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of like I said, chaos that goes on. But as long as with a half an hour, I think you can kind of pull it off. Yeah, absolutely. So my game, again, I'm I'm I was I'm really torn between the two. One that I think will get played a lot more than the other, but I like Railways of the World. It's, I know that it was it's a spin-off. It's kind of even kind of a republished version of Rail, Railroad Tycoon. But I like the, the the little plastic pieces again, completely superfluous. You don't need the really the the water tower and the railroad crossing tokens and whatnot. But I like it a lot. It, it I like being able to build the rail the rails and being able to pick up and deliver the goods and all that. So it kind of gives you kind of an epic feel to it. Uh, the problem that I've encountered with railways of the world is that I felt like for with two players the map was just too wide open uh, we got the Europe expansion board and that actually made things a lot tighter for a two player game so have either of you played railways of the world no I've watched a video on it and thought it looked kind of interesting it's kind of been on, on my list of things I would like to try same here I, I uh I was one I researched a lot. It was between Railways of the World and Steam, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm glad I'm glad we didn't do Railways of the World. It has it has gone unspoiled to my family. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's a big box, and it gives you a lot of a lot of pieces in there. But I, I don't get to play that often. But yeah, if you guys are willing to give it a go, I'll pull it out from the top shelf. Mm-hmm. So uh, the other one is a newer acquisition, and it's called Trains. <laughs> so this is a uh, deck building game. Uh, I've I like the idea of deck building. I I got Dominion a couple of years after it came out. Uh, the the biggest thing for for me with Dominion was the theme. It just felt a little lackluster to me. The gameplay is really awesome, but it just seemed a little lackluster. So Trains actually takes that deck building mechanic, but it actually has a physical board where you're trying to lay your rails, make connections to different cities, and you're actually trying to... It's an area control game at the same time. You're trying to get uh, control of different cities. Uh, you score points based upon the number of terminals that you have uh, within those cities, and it's it's a lot of fun. I, I know some people will say that it's not a better game necessarily than Dominion, but I know it's one that's going to get played a whole lot more. So I think an element of having the deck builder with an actual board where you're actually putting pieces on there and has some manipulation of the cards you play have an effect on the board as you're doing a deck building. I, I think wish there were more games that did that, but I really, I really like trains. 
if I were to make a prediction and put on my Swami hat, you know, and gaze into my crystal ball, I really think that one of the next big games is going to be that. I think that I kind of agree with you. I think there's a gap there. And I think that if you can, I think if there's a, there's a way you can continue to build that, I think that there's a really interesting uh, game in there. Mm-hmm. And the one problem we had with, with trains was that we felt like, the full board was, again, too big for two players. But then they came out with the two-player maps, and that seems to really fix the issues with that as well. So I really like games that tweak the size of the board based upon the number of players. Like Small World does a really great job with that. Mm-hmm. Um, Jonathan's shaking his head. It's okay, Jonathan. Small World's great. <laughs> it's a small world after all. <laughs> <laughs> But I just like those games that tailor it a little bit. I think that's one of the few things that I wish that Terra Mystica would do, would actually come out with a two-player board. When they announced the the expansion with a new board, I was like, oh my gosh, they're going to put a two-player board in there, and they didn't. So, I don't know. Maybe maybe it doesn't need the two-player board, but I think it could be greatly enhanced for people who don't get to play with the full player count on a regular basis. So... All right, so I believe that this brings the end of podcast number three. So, any parting words you guys have for us? Make sure to set up a new game and don't steam it. Don't don't steam it. (laughs) Wise words. (laughs) So, as always, you can find us at punchedandplayed.com. You can find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all those wonderful places. We're also on iTunes, where you can download and subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe directly from our website at punchandplay.com. So, until next time, remember, if you're going to punch them, make sure you play them. (laughs) 